Jesus' first disciples were ordinary, everyday people who were so convinced of who Jesus was that they were willing to give up everything to follow him. To them, being a Christian wasn't about a program or an event. Life was their program, and every day was their event. As Christians, we aren't called to be religious do-gooders, but instead to grow up in every way into Christ, who's our head. In every way means in everything. We're to be disciples every day, not just Sundays. Good morning, Vintage Church. I had to address y'all by name, but that'd take probably all of our time this morning. So, and some of you I haven't met yet. My name is Keegan. I am the lead pastor here at our Belton location. If you're brand new, welcome to Vintage Church. Hope you felt welcome the moment you walked onto the property and through those front doors. I will be in the commons uh, right after the service near our guest suite. So I'd love to meet you if we haven't had a chance to meet and get to talk to you a little bit about uh, whatever you want to talk about—the church, sports, whatever. Uh, but I'm excited. Today is a really exciting day. You're here on the first day of our brand new series that we're doing called The Everyday Disciple. And this series is really not just for these next three weeks. This is really going to uh, be kind of the theme, uh, the overarching theme for everything that we do in 2023 as Vintage Church. And what I mean by that is this is the year of being uh, an everyday disciple. And so how many know we can't just be weekend warriors for Jesus on Sunday? Right? We've got to live this Christian life every single day, one day at a time, and be committed to that. And so you're going to hear us uh, throughout this series and then throughout the rest of the year coming back to, to three things. Thinking, seeing, and doing. Right? Everything begins with our thinking, having right thinking. That is what then tells us how we should see and perceive the world the way God wants us to, which ultimately dictates our behavior. And what we're going to do with our life, right? So we're going to talk about thinking, seeing, and believing. And so we're going to go in that order today and talk about thinking. How many of you have gotten off to a great start uh, with your New Year's resolutions? Anybody? How many of you just, oh, nobody. Who's actually made some New Year's resolutions? It's okay. You can raise your hand. And how many of you have just, you're over it. You don't do it anymore. Okay, a lot of you. So you know uh, what statistics show that there's actually a date called Quitter's Day. Have you heard of this? I think it's January 13th, or, or some say it's the second Friday of January, where all those great resolutions that we had, they all go to the side and go to nothing after the second Friday. We do it for about two weeks. We can get up the motivation. We can get our own strength, and we can go, and we can stop eating anything but carrots. And, and, and we're not going to go to Whataburger. We're just going to keep passing by, and even Chick-fil-A, even though the Lord's blessed it, we're, we're going to move on from Chick-fil-A. Right? We have these resolutions, but the problem is resolutions aren't really a biblical thing. Did you know that? Resolutions, this idea of, hey, I'm going to do this in my strength for this year to change and modify my behavior is not actually a biblical idea. That's a Babylonian idea. For those of you that have read your Bible, Babylonian thinking like the world, it's a worldly concept. God actually talks about transformation. And transformation is nothing that we can do in and of our own strength. It always requires us surrendering our lives to God. And he does it. We're going to talk about this today from the inside out. See, just like we talked about in a previous series about joy and happiness, a lot of people are trying to change their life through external means, right? If I could just achieve this or I could just accomplish this or if I can just set a goal and never miss it, 
then I'll have whatever it is I'm looking for. But the bottom line is that never produces lasting change. Temporary at best. But then we settle back into our old ways and we get back into, you know, our, our, our sin nature, if you will, our flesh. You know, it's a Christian kind of term. We talk about just that just means our, our, our personal desires, our own selfish wants and desires. We settle into those things and then everything that, that we thought we were going to do goes out the door. But God is interested and what he offers us is way better. It's actually something that can last. It's called transformation. And we're going to talk about how that first and foremost begins in our heart and it adjusts our thinking. The Bible says in Proverbs that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Right? Our thoughts determine the direction of our lives. And so I told you last week that this series we're going to address these questions about uh, what it is that we need to do as followers of Christ to be in alignment with God. And we all have to deal with these questions. And the first one for today is what is true? What do we believe? We've got to start here. We've got to start with what we believe. Matthew 22, 37 through 40 says this. He said to him, this is Jesus, uh, said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Somebody say mind. mind. See, it's not enough just to have some feels for Jesus, right? Like, oh, he just makes me feel good, and so I just love God until, until what? Until all of a sudden God asks you a hard thing, and then you don't have those little feelings anymore, and then what do you do? Well, I don't want nothing to do with you today, Jesus. I don't like that you're asking me to give up that, or you're asking me to do this, right? No, that's not loving God fully. We got to love God more than just with our feelings. We got to love God with our intellect, with our mind. You know, scientists are still trying to study and, and they keep getting blown away more and more at the power of the mind that God has given us. It's faster than any supercomputer they can make, right? It's, it's fascinating, but God wants us to give our minds to him and to, to be able to love him with all of our mind. It says, this is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All, somebody say all. The law and the prophets depend on these two commands. And I'm just going to say right here, we're going to take a lot of notes today. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. So get ready. Get your pens ready. We, if you want to take notes on our app, you can do that. I don't know if everyone's aware of that, but we also have handouts. So write this down. Come on, a short pencil is better than a long memory. You need to go back. And how many of you take notes? You're just good at taking notes. All right. So somebody, if you're sitting next to somebody who's good at it, ask them how they do it. But this is important. The things that you really... Uh, care about that matter, you'll write down so you can remember them. And so I want to encourage you this year, if you've never been a note taker and you just come and you kind of sit and listen, that's great. But I want to encourage you to go further this year. Be in a place where every time you show up, you know, to a service, you're like, God, I want to get something from that. I want your word to get inside of me to change me. And I want to write it down. It matters to me. So notice the mind is what Jesus emphasized here. He's teaching us something that is echoed by the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 1 through 2. I love this New Living Translation. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. And here's the key. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Come on, did you catch that? Let God transform you. It's not about our resolutions. It's not about how much we want to change ourselves. The Christian life is not a get help or, or, or sorry, it's not a get um, self-help program, right? The Christian life is not about us helping ourselves because everything we need is within us. 
The only way everything is already within you is if you've accepted Christ and he's in you. And you're pulling on him. But us left to ourselves, we don't have everything it takes to be who God calls us to be. And so you can just go on and skip that self-help section. And if you want some real help, ask God for help. Man, it's quiet in here already. I got to wake you all up. God transforms your life by changing the way you think. Joyce Meyer wrote a book a long time ago. and I'd encourage you to read it. Uh, it's called The Battlefield of the Mind. And in that book, you know, she talks about what the Bible teaches, which is everything that the enemy wants to do in your life, he starts by trying to win the battle in your mind. Do you know Eve didn't actually have to surrender to, to Satan in the garden? She made a choice. And what did he do? What was the first attack that the enemy had on humanity? It was on the mind. Did God really say that? Did he really say that you couldn't eat of this tree, of the knowledge of good and evil? Did he really say that? She was trying to get doubt into Eve's mind about God and about truth. Do you know that's still his same, his same MO today? The enemy's always going to try and get you to cooperate with him. You know he has no power over you. As a son or daughter of God, if you're born, uh, we're going to talk about this, if you're born again and you're, you're adopted into the family of God, you're God's son, God's daughter, the enemy has no rights to, you, to your life. You remember even Job, he had to ask permission to even mess with Job. And the enemy doesn't have any more power in your life than what you yield to him. And sometimes we do it by ignorance and sometimes you do it by choice. And what I mean by that is sometimes we're not aware that we have a spiritual enemy. There's a lot of people that walk around and just don't pay any mind to, you know, the, the, the fact that there's a real spiritual battle going on. I just want to tell you, there is. And so you can be a part of knowing how to function in that and cooperate in that with God so that you can keep the enemy out of your life, or you can be ignorant, and guess what? You're just going to have issues to deal with. He's going to have you know, leeway to just come in and mess with your life. But as a child of God, you have a choice whether or not you're going to do things God's way or his way, and whether or not you're going to allow the enemy to convince you to cooperate with him and to doubt God. That's a lot. I'll let it sink in for a minute. Isaiah 55, I love this. I learned this when I was a young kid. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. Come on, we've got we've to just understand that right here and right now, God's ways are above ours. Right? I've heard somebody say a long time ago that your best decisions got you to where you're at right now. How many of us wish we made some different decisions along the way? Right? Our thinking is not high enough. We don't see everything that God sees. We don't have his perspective unless we ask him. Until we get into his word and we start seeing what he's trying to show us about how to live life the way that he's designed it to be lived. His ways and his thoughts are higher. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, it starts with humility. It starts in humility. We can say, well, I think I just know best. Oh, you do? You know better than the one who formed you in your mother's womb, the one who created everything that you know? Do we really know best how to live life? No, we don't. But in our pride, sometimes we can get that way. Where, Well, I got to figure it out, God. I don't need you. I'll just call you if I really get in a, a real pickle. That's how a lot of Christians live their lives in practice. They wouldn't say that, but when you really look at their life, they don't go to God until there's a crisis. What happened when 9-11 hit? Everybody start believing in prayer, right? 
started running into whatever, you know, church or cathedral, whatever they could find to start seeking God. Because guess what? Things were out of their control. And they didn't know what was coming next. Let's not be like that. Let's not be like, well, we're just going to run to God if we get into an emergency. How about we walk with God so that he can guide us and we can avoid a lot of things? That's what he desires. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. Come on, have you ever had a plan that you thought was a good idea? And then it, and then it wasn't? Come on, any husbands? Have a good idea. Honey, I'm just going to buy this. It's going to change our life. It is? We don't need a $2,000 grill. If you buy it, we won't have enough money for hamburgers to put on it. Oh, that's all right. It's going to be great. Come on, there's, there's things, and wives do the same, and friends do the same to each other. I got this great idea. We'll go here and do this. There's a way that seems right to us, because we always think we just know best, right? But we need to stop and ask God. The way we think leads to death. That's in your notes. Plain and simple. Our thinking leads to death. Anytime that we're not in agreement with God and what he says, our thinking will lead to death. Ephesians 6, 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Thank God that he equips us to be able to stand against the enemy's schemes. You know, we don't have to be ignorant of how the enemy tries to operate in our life. We can be wise to it. Methodos in the Greek means down a road or pathway. How you think will actually lead you down a road or pathway that leads to death. That's why we need the armor of God. You know, the Bible talks about the helmet of salvation to guard our mind. Scripture also says to call every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Do you know that you can take control of your thoughts? You don't have to be. The enemy doesn't have the right to just put whatever stuff, trash he wants to put in your mind. Now, don't help him out by watching trash on TV and having trash come in through social media or whatever else. you got to have a filter. But at the same time, there's times when, you, come on, we've had crazy thoughts drop into our mind. Even those of us that are saved and love God and trying to live our life, we still get some crazy thoughts that come through our minds. But we don't have to let them stay there. Right? You haven't sinned because you had a bad thought. You sin if you dwell on that thought and then you start acting on that thought. But if the devil tries to put something funky in your mind and you're like, nope, I call that thought captive to the obedience of Christ and I command that thought to go in Jesus' name. It's that simple. That's spiritual warfare. People get all weird about all this stuff, but that's spiritual warfare. Just saying, this mind I've given to the Lord. And he's the one that, that's going to put thoughts in my mind. And I'm not taking any of that other trash. It's a good thing to teach your kids early on. The way God thinks, conversely to ours, leads to life. John 6, 63, the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. Come on, say, the flesh doesn't help at all. There we go. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. I'm sorry, I just believe church is a participation thing. It's not a... It's not a spectator sport, right? So what's this process of Christian believing? Number one, only a new heart results in a changed mind. See, and this gets a little interesting to explain because the Bible talks about the eyes of our heart and, and uh, as you think in your heart. The heart, biblically, without getting into it too much, talks about the, it's the center of our life. Like our, our giving our heart to God being postured towards him allows him to then lead our life. 
And so when the Bible talks about heart, it's also talking about our thoughts. And, and we're going to see here in a minute, Paul had to explain this a little differently when he was in Thessalonica talking to that church because they had a lot of Greeks, and the Greeks were, you know, they, were, they had this understanding of there's, there's body, there's soul, and there's spirit. You know, there's, we're, we're made up of three parts. And so our spirit, when, when we're created, God gives us a spirit, but that spirit is not made alive until we give our lives to Jesus. That's where Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about being born again. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but John 3, 3 through 7, Jesus replied, and this is him talking to Nicodemus. He says, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Obviously not. We know how science works. Jesus answered, but truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. See, Jesus was trying to help Nicodemus understand that, that even though he was trying to live a good life, trying to be religious, he was a good guy in many ways, uh, maybe morally, but he still had not been born again. His spirit was not made alive in Christ. And that's what happens when, when you said that prayer, when you say, Lord, I give you, you know, come into my life. I, I repent of my sins. I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to take control of my life, come into my heart. That's what's happening. The Holy Spirit comes into your life, the Spirit of God, and he awakens. He causes your spirit to come alive, and now you can commune with God because God is spirit. God is spirit, and so we first and foremost communicate with him in our spirit, and I'm not trying to get weird on y'all. We can probably do another teaching on that to tell you, kind of help explain it a little bit more, but for now, just understand that you have a spirit, and then you have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Or we can think of this as our thinker, our feeler, and our chooser, right? A lot of people live their lives based on their soulless realm, on their feelings, right? It's the stuff that I can come up with on my own. But if that's not subjected to God and to his higher authority, that's where we'll get off. And so we want to live not by our, we don't want to be led by our feelings and by our emotions. God gives us those things as a gift to greater experience him and experience things that he's given us. But ultimately, we want to be led by our spirit. What is God speaking to us in our spirit? When we read his word, it should bear witness uh, with our spirit. So we've got to talk about this stuff. This is how you live a life. This is why the Bible says to be continually filled with the spirit of God. And how do you do that? Getting into God's word. Romans 8.11. Y'all good? Yeah. I know it's a little bit heady, but it's all right. You got to understand these things so that you, we know how to function. We're not just uh, eating cereal around here on Sundays. <laughs> Romans 8.11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Yeah. Number two, God transforms from the inside out. See, the world's always trying to modify behavior. You know, laws get passed. Well, people are, you know, they're, they're murdering other people. So we just need to make more laws about, you know, don't have guns and don't have knives and don't have pencils and don't have anything that you can murder someone with. But how many of you know you can make all the laws you want? It's not going to change the heart. People would just murder somebody with a chair or, you know. The bottom line is you have to get to the heart first. You got, and only God can transform a heart. I can't transform a heart. No person can. It's only, it's a work of God. It's the work of his spirit that convicts us and, and changes our heart. 
But we've got to be open to him doing that. We've got to be willing to let him because he's given us a free will. And I had a call this past week from someone who said they've been talking with a coworker, and this person is genuinely seeking and interested in God and wanting to know about God. But they're hung up on this one thing about they don't understand how a God who, who she says loves people could allow bad things to happen. And this person was like, man, I don't know how fully to explain that to her. But it's this concept of free will. We're not robots. God has given you a choice. You don't have to serve God. You can live your whole life apart from God. You can shake your fist at him. You can just ignore him. You can, you can literally do that. God has given you a free will, and he's not going to take it back. He's not at some point just going to you know, force you to do anything, except for when he says, you know, every knee will bow. When he comes back, I promise you, you will be. At that moment, you won't have control over your body. <laughs> You'll probably, you'll be dropping. But God wants us to exercise our free will. He wants us to choose him. Just like, you know, how many of you, like, you wouldn't want to be in a relationship that someone just forced you to be in. Well, you're going to marry this person. I mean, that happens in some other cultures. My dad's Indian, and they do that a lot over there. And sure, they'll stay married, but is there really, you know, is it the same as if someone chooses you? It's not the same. But God has chosen us, and he longs for us to choose him. And so we've got to give him our heart. I think I've camped out there enough. God changes the way we think through his word. It's point number three, John 17, 15 through 17. And I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Side note, God is not interested in this idea of escapism. Right? We're going to have suffering. We're going to have tribulation. We're going to have things we have to walk through in this life. And we can't just pray that God will just magically take us out of all of it. No, a lot of times people get to see how real our faith is as we walk through difficult things. Things, things. Y'all are wearing off on me. I'm a Yankee. But even Jesus right here says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but but instead protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify just means to set apart, to be made holy. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. you got to believe when you read this Bible that it is what God says it is, that it is his word. And I know at times we can get hung up on, well, Jesus is the word, and then the people talk about the Bible being the word. Yes, and it's all true. Not that Jesus is, is in this book by any means, but Jesus is the word. And so we know in John one uh, fourteen it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Right, Jesus became, he was the word made man. But when he left, he left us his word, which God says that none of his word will return to him void. Do you know everything that God has spoken and speaks will come to pass? It will. You may not see it in your lifetime. Just go back and read through the, the chapter in Hebrews about all those that have died, still having, they didn't see the promise, but they still died in faith, knowing that it was going to come to pass, even if it was after their lifetime. 
God's word is never going to fade away. Heaven and earth will pass away, his word says. But his, his word will not. So you got to stand on that. And you got to believe it. And I'm telling you this. I've had, I used to love talking with college students because they get in that, especially ones that go to uh, school and, and they're studying religion or studying other things because they always want to like figure God out and like, you know, analyze it all and, and they want to have an answer for everything. Can I just tell you, you're not going to have an answer for everything. Not this side of heaven. You won't. You'll know as much as God wants to show you and reveal to you. And I can tell you, this will keep you busy your whole life. But at some point, when people want to talk about is God real or not, and I don't know why I'm focused on this, this wasn't in my notes, but when people want to argue that, at some point you have to look at them and say, it, you have to take a step of faith. I can sit here and try and prove all of this book to you, but if you still don't want to believe, it's not going to mean anything to you. There is plenty of proof. There's plenty of proof. Go study history. There's plenty of proof for the Jesus walking on the earth and all these other accounts and all this other stuff. There's plenty of evidence if you want to go find it. But at, at the end of the day, us coming to God requires faith. The Bible says if you're going to come to him, you must first believe that he is and that is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. At some point, you, your intellect can only get you so far in pursuing God. And at some point, you've got to just say, I choose to believe. We walk by faith, not by sight. If you're like, well, when God shows himself to me, then I'll believe. Guess what? You might wait a long time. And then one day you're going to wake up and go, oh, man, he's been showing me here, and he's been showing himself here, and he's been showing himself here. If you realize God's actually showing himself to us, the Bible says, in all creation. But you've got to put your faith in him. And then once you do, like everyone else who's put their faith in God knows, it all opens up. You start seeing, wow, God, how did I, how did I not do this sooner? How did, I, how did I not give my life to you sooner? That's what most people so only regret after they get saved. They don't regret getting saved. They regret how long they waited to say yes to God. It's like, why didn't I? Man, if I'd have known that serving you and living for you would, would be like this, I would have done it. Soon as, I, as soon as the first person told me. And the way you think leads to what you believe. This continues to be a struggle for us even after we're safe. We want to start on the outside, but God says the real problem is on the inside. Let's, I love this quote. Religion is about mastering God. True faith is about God mastering you. See, we don't run God. We don't tell him what to do. No, we allow him to tell us what to do. We allow him to change us. This isn't, you know, and I, I was saying this in first service, a lot of people have misconceptions about God, you know, and even when they talk about Jesus and talk about God the Father, it's like, you ever hear people that kind of have this image of God the Father in the Old Testament it was like this, you know, kind of mean, like, you know, he would just send down lightning or whatever, and fire and and you don't want to make him angry. And then Jesus is like the cuddly version. You know, like Jesus just makes us feel good. And he just, you know, he's so full of grace and truth. And he's all lovey-dovey. Listen, God loves you. But he's not going to get punked. And he's not a pushover. And if you think Jesus is down here just at your pleasure like Chick-fil-A ready to serve you, 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 don't, you haven't met the real Jesus yet. 
Because the real Jesus says, I love you. I love you enough to not let you stay in the condition that I find you. And God doesn't expect you to have to clean yourself up before you'll give your life to him and come to him. You don't have to do that. You don't have to try. As a matter of fact, you can't. So don't even bother. God will take you, every one of us, just as we are, just the state that he finds us in. But he loves us enough to draw us out of it and to begin to change us. And he does it through his word. Psalm 119, 105, one of my favorite scriptures. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. Let me give you three biblical perspectives that you need to know. Number one, Jesus is the eternal word. I've already touched on this a little bit, but see, those people that have a different concept of Jesus in the New Testament being different than God, the Father in the Old Testament, what they don't realize is that God is actually a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. And so everything that... that how God acted and what he did and what he revealed about himself in the Old Testament, Jesus was right there in agreement. Does that make sense? And so everything that God laid down as laws and what's good and commands and all that stuff and, and how he says we should live and, and how we, things we should avoid and not do, he hasn't changed his mind in the New Testament just because Jesus came. Jesus came just to show us how to do it. And if anything, Jesus raised the standard, right? Because now he's like, listen, it's not... I'm not impressed that you didn't, you know, well, I'm glad you didn't go murder somebody. But even if you hate your brother in your heart, let's talk about that. Because, again, what you think will determine what you see, which will determine what you do. So Jesus was, if anything in the New Testament, emphasizing more our heart condition and getting our hearts right. Number two, the Bible is one unified story about God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This is what I'm talking about. All scripture is inspired by God. And is profitable, listen to this, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God or woman may be complete, equipped for every good work. See, God's word isn't just to make us feel better about ourselves. It's to teach us about who God is and how he says we're to live and, and operate. It's for rebuking. Come on, some of us sometimes need to be rebuked. Right? We need correction. Correction is good. It keeps us from going the wrong direction. That rhymes. Correction will keep you from the wrong direction. I would tweet that if I was a tweeter, but I'm not a tweeter. And it's training in righteousness. Do you know we can learn how to live a life that pleases God? I talked about this last week. That's what David was passionate about. He wanted to learn God's ways so that he can know how to live his life in a way that pleased God. And lastly, the Bible teaches us the will and ways of God. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 16 says this. Now listen, today I am giving you a choice. Today, God is giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are about to enter and occupy. See, God gives us a choice each and every day. We talk about being an everyday disciple. It's about making the choice every single day when we wake up that we're going to follow God, that we're going to choose his ways above our own. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it, it will be the right thing. And if you want to have a life that's prosperous, that's life-giving, and by prosperity, I'm not talking about getting rich. God blesses you financially and you get rich, awesome. 
I'm sure you can use all that money to just continue to be generous and advance God's kingdom and bless people and help people and all that great stuff. I'm all for people not struggling. But prosperity in your relationships, prosperity in your family, prosperity in, in your, your mental health, God offers all of that, but it's a choice. We have to choose him. We have to choose his ways. There's no shortcuts. There's no other alternative. The best life that we can live, you know, people talk about, I'm living my best life. The best life you can live is one that's in obedience to God. Because that's where there's blessing. That's where his presence is. That's where uh, there's, there's protection. Got to live our lives obedient to him, surrender to him. You know, I don't know if you've, I'm done, but I do want to talk about one more thing. This year, I don't know how many of you have seen our, kind of a, it's not a campaign, but it's really an initiative that we have for this year. It's really the heart of Pastor Stephen and the rest of our leadership staff, and that is that this year, our church, that our Bible literacy would go up. I mean, that's, that's what's missing in our world more than anything. People just don't know God's word. They don't have it in their heart. It's not changing their life. And if we can just get people back to God, back to opening their lives to him and surrendering their heart to him, how many of you know our whole society will be better? You know? When the righteous rule, the city rejoices. I was trying to say that scripture in the first service. I couldn't remember it. It's one of my favorite verses. When the righteous rule, the city rejoices. Why? Because when people live God's way, we all live better. Because people that have convictions from the Holy Spirit to not harm other people won't harm other people, right? They'll stop stealing. They'll stop lying to one another. They'll stop whatever, cheating on each other. People are like, I don't want God. But you want, believe me, you do. You want God and you want everything that he tells us is good for living. So I want to encourage you, you know, join us in this honest to God. You can pick up the devotional if that helps you. I would encourage you to do that, but make a commitment this year personally to say this is going to be a year that I get into God's word and I let his word get into me more than I ever have every single day. And will you make it every single day? No. Neither will I. I'm not perfect. I'll miss a day or two here along the way. But set your heart to get in God's word and let it transform you. I know I kept you a little long today. If you would, just bow your heads. I want to pray over you, but I also just like we do in every service, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus today. Maybe you're sitting here and you've never surrendered your life and you're like, you know, I thought I had just been doing good and I don't need God. You do need God. And maybe today you're realizing that for the first time. You're realizing that his thoughts and his ways are better than yours. And you want a life that has life and prosperity and, and peace and joy. And all those benefits that we talked about last week, beginning with forgiveness of our sin. I want to encourage you. You're not promised tomorrow. I'm not trying to scare you into heaven, but I want to give you a reality. You're not promised tomorrow. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And if you want to be serious about your faith this year and you want to be serious about Jesus, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand on the count of three. Actually, I'm not even going to count to three. Maybe you've said this prayer before and you've asked God into your life, but you really haven't been a, a true disciple. You haven't been living your life surrendered to him every day. And you want to recommit your life to him today and recommit to being a true disciple. You can go ahead and raise your hand too. I'm just going to ask you, just raise your hand right now.
Thank you for those hands. Nobody looking around. It's between you and God. Thank you. You can put your hand down. I'm just going to ask everyone just to pray with me. And if you raise your hand, I want you to pray this from your heart, just between you and God. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for breath in my lungs. Thank you for enough health to get here today. I acknowledge that I need you. That your ways and your thoughts are higher than mine. Lord, I confess my need for you and my sins. And I ask you right now to come into my life, to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to forgive me of all my sins. I accept your sacrifice for my sins. And I choose this day to serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.